We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Redrum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Coming out. But hurry. The killer's behind you! John, Katie, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's up, Will? Sure. Does evil die tonight? Or tomorrow? Ooh. Mm. Hold on here. Coin toss. Ting. On the hand. Today. Yeah, because I was promised tonight. Um, and I, I mentioned this because a year ago, uh, you and I, Don, even though you didn't even see the movie. Uh, Seth, still haven't. Yeah. You still haven't. Great. All right. Well, oh. uh, so this will be just as relevant uh, now, a year later. But a year ago, you and I sat down um, and talked about Halloween Kills, the middle picture of this new Halloween uh, trilogy that's going to end shortly. I mean, I mean, as Katie, the horror expert knows, you know, these things never really end, but um, Halloween ends soon. So we thought, why not release our long lost uh, missing episode, Halloween Kills, in which I just try to explain the Halloween timeline and spinoffs and multiverse to Don while he sits there. Yawning I do. Bored to death. Yeah, I do so. the podcast version of nod and smile. It's true. <laughs> yeah, um, Katie I, has no idea what we said because we're just brought her in here while she's here. Yeah, because yeah. we, we wanted to we wanted to class this place up a little bit with this intro because she is not on the episode. I'm sorry for all the blonde in front mm-hmm. fans that are going to be looking for her on this episode, but she's not. So I thought <laughs> I'd bring her in on the intro. What I'm calling like a Marvel pre-credit sequence. Um, but we might as well get your opinion real quick, uh, Katie. Did you did you like Halloween Kills? Oh, that's a uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I bring all the challenging like, questions. That's what I do. Yeah, I know. You're really you're really making me think about that. Uh, like is a strong word. Um, <clears throat> I I I watched it. Uh, <laughs> Ringing endorsement. I watched it. (laughs) She already beat me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, here's a screen grab. It is a film, The Blonde in Front. Um, (laughs) I watched it. Katie Glidewell. (laughs) (laughs) My eyes have seen this. (laughs) Um, I did like the uh, certain characters that came back into the fold that were very familiar faces from the original Halloween the mob mentality that went on was a bit extreme and whatnot. Uh, I mean, I love Jamie Lee Curtis and that, and I love throwback to the house and um, different things. It, I mean, I, I didn't hate it. I did. It wasn't on any of my best or worst list. It just was. So it's not okay. like this isn't a ringing endorsement for the franchise. Yeah. But I mean, oh, I this saw. episode. This yeah. episode just got all the hits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can I can't really follow that up because I don't even remember what I said. All I remember is that uh, I I enjoyed it. Um, okay. I mean, I didn't think it was a masterpiece, but I'll let the viewers hear my thoughts on this because I I haven't watched it since uh, the theater, but I did have a good time. Plus, it has one of my favorite bands does the end credit song in traditional horror fashion that, you know, they have a song that was made just for the movie or whatever to play on the end credits. So that's cool. Um, But no, I'm glad we got your opinion. I'm glad we all agree that evil is probably going to die this October, but uh, it'll be back yet again in some form or another. Oh yeah. Because it won't let this frame. It it always is. It's, it's never died. It's, it's been going on. And 
and as I mentioned in the episode, I kind of enjoy the fact that like I can show some, I can be like that meme from it's always sunny where the guy's got like the, the red lines and the, the mm. crazy maps, the serial killer maps and stuff. like trying to explain stuff. Mm. I like to do that. I talked to my dad the other day and I said like, he's like, how many, is that Halloween 68? You know, and ha ha ha, you know? And I was like, well, technically <laughs> it's depending on how you look at it. It's either Halloween four or Halloween 12 or Halloween <laughs> three and a half. Like it's, it's uh, it, the timeline is more complex than, anything on earth i think so it's it i mean you're not lying and it and i mean the real question will this franchise die that night on october 14th when um halloween ends comes out i highly doubt it but uh i guarantee if ridley scott has a film that comes out the same uh weekend like he did last year it's going to bomb so ridley (laughs) scott it's not because of the gen xers and all that stuff it's because you had your film come out on the same night as a huge horror franchise film. That is why mm-hmm. no one is talking That's about right. that. No one has told you that wake up. It's not because it was a bad movie. It is not because of the generation It's because you've opened it on a horrible weekend. Oh, Thank shot, you. Shots fired. Um, yeah. That's Thank right. You. Ridley Scott. <laughs> Blonde in front takes down Sir Ridley. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have to decide how you feel about the movie after you hear this episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further introduction, uh, welcome to our long-lost mystery box discarded uh, land of bad broken toys episode of Cinephile Hits Fit on Halloween Kills. Evil dies tonight. Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I am William Henry Johnson III. So formal for such a casual movie we got going here, but nice. Yeah, well, because, you know, it's uh, I have to take it seriously because if I don't, people will accuse me of being, you know, not being in the cinema if I don't have an official name. For like this that, movie, you know? oh, okay. Oh well, yeah, oh, because because huh? we know because we know that horror films are like the redheaded stepchildren of this film. True. So whatever. Oh, so are we we should start calling all the horror we talk about elevated horror. Is that oh, oh, how dare! Like, dude, I'm going to reach go. through this microphone and slaughter you. I know. <laughs> like, I know. I don't like the term either. Like, just make good horror. Don't even make it elevated. Just make good. Yes. Good. Anyway, God. folks. We're damn glad to have you, ladies and gentlemen. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives that wash away. Any place for hate in the end. Urge you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we have a little bit of a different wrinkle to the show. We're going to talk about Halloween Kills from David Gordon Green. Did I say it right, David Gordon Green? You did. You certainly did. All right, did. sweet. It has been recommended by Halloween franchise czar. William oh, Johnson. I, I haven't even seen the movie. So this is good. Our format's going to change a little bit. For this, this is me just giving Will a fantastic chance to kind of spin what he spins. I'm going to pop him some questions. We're going to talk about where elevated horror comes from <laughs> and where it needs to go flush down the toilet. Uh, we'll put the timer on for little pieces here, little pieces there, maybe five minutes of questions, something like that. And uh, we'll keep it kind of open in that kind of way. We're just kind of here to celebrate a good franchise and something that can be done. Right. As coincidence would have it, 
We are recording this episode on Halloween. So, folks, enjoy Halloween Kills. Yeah, when, when you... Uh, Johnson. Yeah, when you uh, listen to this in, like, uh, December 12th or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't been able to figure it out from all of our recordings, we ha- like I'm sure we just had our... Well, as of this recording, which is the fun part of what, what we get to say is we had our two Byron Lafayette episodes of High Noon and the Searchers. We probably talked about like spring flowers that came out in October. Or <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. For Halloween kills. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah. Will, Will I'll, I'll open up with the first question here. Um, yeah. You have a far deeper history about this than me. So what's your history with the franchise? What do you love oh. about it? What do you hate about it? Well, so um, Halloween, the original by John Carpenter, is my favorite horror film and my top five all time of any film. I, I will um, play the I will play the Andy Samberg playing Nicolas Cage Saturday Night Live line of "That's high praise." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is about it. It's a very simple film. It's very elegant, as I like to call it. I think it's very elegant. Oh, time out here because there's no timer on this bullshit. You just said elegant, but we're going to flush elevated horror down the toilet today. Yes, because I I think I think that John Carpenter is a craftsman. I agree. Um, He his films, even when they maybe don't work entirely, they have a look and feel to them um, that is unique to him. He's got his own unique voice and sound that I like. Um, that's why many try to copy him and many fail. Um, you know, he kind of, you know, kind of like how Star Trek took the Western approach to space. I think that, um, Carpenter does the same thing. He was very highly influenced by not only old science fiction from the fifties and stuff, but also Westerns, you know, um, you know, the, the, uh, um, assault on precinct 13 is very clearly a, you know, hold up in the saloon, mm-hmm. shoot him out. You know, uh, you know, uh, a lot of it has stuff to do with you know people coming from out of town and and you know going into an established town and and uh, dealing with uh, crises and horrors in that small town and then sometimes leaving again. You know, um, it's there. It's a lot of Western filmmaking there, which I appreciate. So I do say it's elegant because. Um, the reason why Halloween works for me is because it spends the time not only humanizing the characters, but establishing the setting, um, you know, creating a mood and making, and, and frankly, starting a genre because a genre will always, you know, start, you know, people start taking bits and pieces that work for them and then, expand upon it and that's why the slashers you know the, the original friday the 13th is pretty not only did sean s sean s cunningham say that he ripped off halloween for that movie but mm-hmm. it's pretty tame compared to what jason would become in oh, the yeah. friday the 13th movie so you know the the, the stuff gets uh, mutated and grows out and becomes becomes something different than what it was intended so when you watch halloween i think people are shocked by how um you know just how uh, well paced and calm and bloodless, but eerie it is, you know, and that's why I yeah. like it. Um, what do you but, hate about? It? 
What, is there anything that kind of like, oh, but they, they did this? Well, nothing about the first movie. I think the first movie is a perfect film. Uh, it's one of my perfect films that I would list. Um, and I think there's a couple horror films on that list. I think Scream is also a perfect film. Um, I, I do like that, you know, despite the... Uh, I, I'm a big fan of um, the franchise, 80s franchise uh uh, slashers like I like uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street's my favorite. Um, I like you know in terms of the series. Um, I like the Hellraiser movies. What I like about Halloween is that they you know tried something different narratively with their stories, even if it didn't work. Um, there was uh, you know they made a sequel, Halloween two, and a couple years later that took place on the same night. It had the same you know, cinematographer, Dean Cundy. It had a, a wonderful spooky look to it. It takes place in an abandoned hospital, kind of another kind of Western kind of theme in terms of one location, mm-hmm. you know, fighting out the bad guy haunted house almost. Um, and then in the sequels, they tried different things. You know, they tried to, they tried to do like, uh, like druid cult stuff in the original okay. timeline. And then they, they pretended certain movies didn't exist. And they brought Jamie Lee Curtis back. And then, there was ups and downs there. Then they erased all that again and remade them with Rob Zombie. Then they erased all that and then erased everything except the original and did the the current iteration. So it's almost, you you know me, I'm a comic book guy. It's, it's kind of like a multiverse because, because because you can say, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the original Halloween timeline, which is Halloween's one, to one to two and four to six, or no, I'm going to watch this timeline: Halloween's one and two and H2O. You know, or you know, whatever. so like there's kind of a fun factor to it where it's like, oh, I get all these different storylines and different takes on the characters, yeah. and so so I, that's that's the roadmap I need here. Is, yeah, as the newbie who's listening to the show, answering yes. asking these questions, trying to get yes. sold and even to watch it. So right. where does this one fit in the timeline? Okay, so this is called the H. Four zero timeline H forty. Okay. Um, so what happens is you have the original film in nineteen seventy eight, gotcha. and then anything that came after that they're ignoring. Wow. So so the second part is Halloween, also titled Halloween in twenty eighteen, directed by yeah. David Gordon Green. So you have Halloween, then Halloween, and then you have Halloween Kills, which is technically part three in this timeline. Uh, <laughs> and is, is a sequel coming? And there's a sequel called Halloween Ends, oh. which will be which will be the which we know is not true because they'll find a way to remake Halloween again and again and again. Whew, um, so so even though Halloween Kills is Halloween three in this timeline, it's really Halloween twelve, I, I think. Yeah, so right. so it's 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 kind of out there. So, um, but I, I do kind of enjoy that approach of saying, hey, let's just try something different. Let's just pretend none of these sequels exist and try a new story. And that's how they got Jamie Lee Curtis back yet again. Um, you know, she's been tied to this franchise and different universes and timelines so many times, but she's such a compelling actress and the character is very important to her because it put her on the map, you know, that um, she always yeah. gives it her all. And it's a, it's always, I think when the, when the stories focus on someone like her, that's when, um, they're, they're the most successful. I think that was actually going to be my next question is the idea yeah. that Jamie Lee Curtis is still the headliner. How did she do? Okay. So in the first film, you know, she kind of becomes whether John Carpenter intended it or not, she kind of became the virginal final girl that would become mm-hmm. a staple of the horror genre. 
um, you know, her friends are sexually active and kind of crude and they smoke and they don't, they don't pay attention to their studies and they're always trying to get away with everything. Whereas she's the babysitter who takes on extra kids and is a 4.0 student and, um, you know, does all this, you know, all the right things, you know, and of course she survives in the end. Um, what they do in this, in this new timeline with Halloween is uh, they do a really interesting thing with her is basically she is so messed up from what happens in the first Halloween that she's never recovered. She has become okay. kind of like this recluse out in the middle of the forest who, you know, she thinks Michael Myers is coming back for her, but in the, in what's very telling about this story, this storyline is that Michael Myers is just, he's just a nondescript or he's a, uh, what do you call it? Um, non-discriminating killer. He just kills. Okay. He, he wants nothing to do with Jamie Lee Curtis. And what I like about it is, is that almost like wish fulfillment sort of like she almost manifests him coming back into her life. He could care less, but she's made her life so much about Michael Myers. I would say there's almost as drastic of a character turn as Sarah Connor between Terminator one and two. All right. I can see what you're going so, with now. Yeah. yeah. So that's what, that's what makes that compelling. Halloween kills undoes that a little bit, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, the character in this storyline and this timeline is something that only really Rob zombies. Halloween two, oddly enough focused on was how do these things affect the surviving victims? Mm. And so uh, that's where movies go there. Yeah. And I like that angle because it shows you know, it shows that in um, in pure Akira Kurosawa fashion, uh, one of my favorite um, films of his is Stray Dog, where uh, you find out that, uh, I believe that's what it's called. I should say it's one of my favorites, but I don't know. Uh, but it's, I think it's called Stray Dog, and uh, I'm going to verify that before I start talking on my ass about that. Um, let's see, Stray Dog. Uh, yep, straight up. So in that movie, in, in that movie, fundamentally, what happens is is there is a character who is a cop. Something terrible happens to him right after the war in Japan, and he becomes a good person. And this person that they're chasing down, this killer or whatever, the same thing happened to him, and he becomes a bad guy. So in that a classic Akira Kurosawa fashion, it shows you, okay. Some people take things that happen to them and turn out okay. And some things that happen to them, they turn out bad. It's all, it's all in your mindset. It's all in how you approach it, how you handle your, your stress, your victimhood, your, you know, what these things happen to you. So, yes, I am comparing Halloween, David Gordon Green's Halloween, to a Kurosawa film. But the same thing applies. What they're showing is, is that you've got this character that suffered this trauma in 1978 and then 40 years later has still not recovered from it in a negative way. She's lost, she's lost custody of her children. Um, she's, you know, she is, like I said, locked up in the woods. She's got extra security. She's defending herself. She's expecting the world to end when it's really not going to. So it, that's kind of the message that's being put out there. There's a lot of weird plot machinations that get her back into Michael Myers, but in essence, if she never thought about Michael Myers again, he would never find her because he doesn't care. Okay. So, so that's an interesting angle that she almost manifests him back in her life because she's obsessed with it and not handling her trauma correctly. Okay. That's the best way to look at it. What other, um, 
so I guess that's a lot of the framing and things like that. And I'm hearing about the parts of the, that are in the movie itself. Like, where does it go from there, then, in a way? So, well, the thing about Halloween Kills is, and we talked about this in our Dune episode, is that um, it doesn't function very well as a middle chapter in it, it, that stands on its own. It's clearly okay. setting up this third part, uh, mm-hmm. or the fourth part, or whatever the hell. Uh, the third part of this current trilogy, uh, of which there will be four total films in the timeline. Oh, um, okay. So it has a lot of filler, a lot of padding. Jamie Lee Curtis is not in it that much because they're saving her probably for the climactic showdown, you know, with Michael Myers. Uh, and plus it kind of, like I said, what I was explaining to you was the 2018 version of Halloween, mm-hmm. which I think has a great setup, you know, where she has to basically live her trauma over again and succeed through it. And the movie ends, even though they were planning on doing more, it ends on enough of a arc that you could never watch the other ones and be satisfied with the way that one ends. And, you know, good defeats evil. Um, and of course they find a way to bring it back for the sequel, but whatever. Um, so this one, uh, you know, there was a great setup there. There's the trauma angle. There's the, you know, not living your life correctly, bad things happening to the hero. This one kind of undoes it by changing the mythology of Michael Myers a little bit to the point where, you know, now that she's in his life, you know, he's he's going to come for her, I think. I, he, there's not a lot that's clear. I got you. Yeah. All they do is um, show a lot of freaking killing and, <laughs> and set up a lot of things. There's a lot of social commentary in this movie. The thing about horror films is, well, it's hilarious because you've seen the new Candyman, right? Yes, I have. So people will say, oh, Candyman got woke. Yeah. And it's like, did you even see the original film? Yeah, like, exactly. so, but the, the thing is, and, and this is, the, I love the Candyman remake or uh, sequel. I, I, I don't mind it. I think it's a very good film. Um, but you can tell when someone's trying to tell you something, you know, like mm-hmm. trying to give you a message. Okay. So Candyman suffers a little bit from that. Uh, something like Get Out doesn't because it's told in such a way that you don't feel like you're being preached to about something. Like you, you're, you're kind of being given the information f- uh, organically through the story. Okay. Uh, Halloween Kills tries to deal with a lot of this stuff about like Jamie Lee Curtis and, and, and all the actors in the movie, like the way they're promoting the movie are trying to talk about how it relates to black lives matter and the Capitol riots and stuff, even though that stuff uh. was, even though the movie was filmed like a year and a half before then. <laughs> so right. before that stuff happened or especially the Capitol riots. So there is a heavy handedness to it. There's, there's a, there's a subplot in the movie. Um, there is um, a character named Tommy Doyle. Okay. In the original film, he is like the seven or eight year old boy that Jamie Lee Curtis babysits. Okay. okay. So now 40 years later, he's obviously you know almost 50, you know, and he is played by Anthony Michael Hall. Now Tommy Doyle in a different timeline was played by Paul Rudd. So you're automatically losing there because you don't have Paul Rudd <laughs> come back in this one. Um, that was Paul Rudd's first. How could he? First. He can't convincingly play fifty years old. 
Yeah, well, well yeah, and Paul, that was Paul Rudd's first movie, uh, by the way. So, like, and he doesn't even know that. There's a funny video of him saying, like, what was your first movie? He was like, Halloween 6? I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> That's how much he could, could care less about it. But anyway, Anthony Michael Hall is this guy. And basically, he thinks that he's found Michael Myers because Michael Myers, uh, Halloween Kills takes place the same night as Halloween 2018. So it's, it's a continuation like that. Yeah. So he thinks he's found Michael Myers and he basically gathers all these people around town that have been traumatized by Michael Myers to form a mob and go after Michael Myers. It all culminates in this scene in a hospital where they, they get the wrong guy and the, the guy kills himself because he, he can't escape and he jumps out a window and kills himself. And then, you know, it's really heavy handed because everyone's going like, was it him? And it's like, no, Michael Myers is making a monster of us. You know, it's very heavy handed, like mob mm-hmm. mentality, bad, you know, like it, it, it's trying to preach to you some kind of moral and it's not sure what it's trying to preach to you. So uh, not only do you have kind of a, uh, a padded story, but you've also got them trying to teach you all this stuff that really doesn't make sense. So okay. I, I think if you've seen any, any of the criticisms, of the film it's because of that it's it's got a very mixed message you know the 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 first two films in this timeline are very simple i would almost say elegant because they just like i said elegant they they deal they deal with very simple ideas they don't try to complicate it they don't try to make it too complex the first one is about a dude who escapes and kills people at random and unfortunately there's victims that you know we care about the second one is about a woman dealing with her trauma and has to confront her demon literally you know those are simple ideas yeah this one is this one is trying to like turn him into this kind of ethereal creature that thrives off killing and it, it just kind of spits in the face of um of the original film by him just being uh, an embodiment of evil. Now he's kind of this specter, this undefeatable, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and and the the I'm biggest things get elevated in that way. Oh, I said elevated. Elevated. No, but and yeah. the big the biggest crime of the film is that they do the worst thing you can do. We've talked about this in uh, our No Time to Die episode. We talked about this in a couple other things. You and I are not a fan of when they go back in time and then say, oh, there was something that happened you didn't know about that actually Uh, plays into it. mm -hmm. Halloween Kills actually flashes back to the 1978 film and and shows you events that happened, you know, in between between scenes in that film. Oh, wow. So, So you start, not only do you start messing with the mythology there, and, Mm -hmm. and, and if you're, you're looking at the film as a linear story, now you're changing the elements of that first film because now it's just the, it's, the, it's the Star Wars problem. Yeah, everything has right. a connection now, so it, it loses its luster. But then you're also adding things to this past that it just fundamentally changes the first film. Okay, like for me, my argument was always with Star Wars, like. By seeing uh, Yoda and the prequel trilogies jump around and have a lightsaber uh-huh. and stuff like that, it totally, when you watch it in a linear narrative format, it totally kills uh, Yoda lifting the X Wing out of the swamp in Empire Strikes Back. I agree. Because up you to didn't that think point, he had it in him. Right, exactly. And yeah. so that fundamentally changes that movie and the story. So yeah. Halloween Kills also goes out of its way to change 
what I already thought was a perfect, elegant piece of filmmaking and now adds layers to it and explanations and changes the choices Carpenter made and affects it forever now. So even if you, even if you choose not to watch this timeline of films, you will never be able to watch that film the same because in some circles they've changed the essence of that film. And that's a big crime to me. I got so. you. Do you lay that at the feet of like, this seems to be David Gordon Green's baby now, you know, and he's an eclectic guy. He's made yep. just, I mean, I, I, I look at filmographies of directors all the time. And sure. when you look at like his name attached to, a very wide variety of things he's done because yep. he's got that stoner trilogy, so to speak, between Pineapple <laughs> Express, Your Highness, and The Sitter. But then right. he's making like Prince Avalanche and Joe, and then he makes a very weird corporate movie like Our Brand is Crisis. And then here he is with you know three straight Halloween movies by the time he gets Halloween Ends going. I like Stronger, which is a, obviously a completely different movie than he's really done with. Right, and, you know, with the Jake Gyllenhaal and the Survivor story and all that. So, has right. he been the right guy? Is this working the way you they, you would hope it would? Or are they? I'm hearing it that they are sullying a classic. Do you have faith that they can keep that they can close this? Um, it just like my faith in Dune is shaken because they did not make a coherent sequel that clearly only sets up the other one. It, it, see, it, it, but it it also depends because. Horror films are graded on a different curve for me. Um, okay. so, some of my greatest cinematic uh, experiences have been in a theater seeing a crappy horror movie with a great crowd. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of like how some films, some music, some, some pieces of art, some books, you know, they have to be read in a certain mood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I can't, I can't see myself like, I can enjoy the original Halloween. I can enjoy some of its sequels, you know, in February, you know, sure. This one had the benefit of coming out in October. I saw it with a full house at a press screening. It was like a fan slash press screening and the crowd was into it. And even parts like when you, when you groaned, everyone groaned, you know, when you cheered, everyone cheered. So that is kind of tough because I, gave, I mean, I gave it more than I gave Dune. I gave it three and a half because I had a great time. I had a great time. And that you're right. That is horror, and that's where that stuff's going to be. Is if it can entertain you enough, it's always horror is also from a business standpoint always that first dollar gross. You know, it's the opening, yeah. the hardcore people on the opening weekend who all show up for the new buzz thing before the spoilers show up and the things get ruined. They're an opening weekend movie. And this thing only has a $20 million budget. It's already made 105. So it's doing oh, yeah. great. It's going to earn its next one. It's oh, yeah. coming. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing about, we talked about this a little bit in our last duel episode, if it came out before this one. Um, you know, w- one thing I was really pissed about the last duel was, is you got all these cinema snobs out there talking, talking about cinema, 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 stop giving me sequels and stop giving me franchises and IP and give me something original. And then, Last tool comes out, no one sees it, right? Mm-hmm. So horror, sci-fi, Marvel, which I'm sure you know, we'll eventually get to Eternals. You know, people cry out all the time. I want something original. I want something unique. I want something different. I don't want the same old, same old. You know, the same old thing. And then they get it. And and when I say that, I say like, for instance, something like um, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, which is 
unlike any other Halloween film, because like I said, it focuses on the survivors of the first film Mm -hmm. and how fucked up they are, you know, and it really goes into some psychological stuff. It goes into a lot of uh, really horrible, like true horror of like what it's like to survive, you know, almost being mutilated and watching your friends get mutilated, you know, it's a true horror film, you know? Yeah, Yeah. And, but then people are like, well, it sucks because it's Rob Zombie. It's not good. I don't like it. It wasn't like the originals. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. You just cried about wanting something different. And this is the same thing. It's like, I don't think people, uh, people you can't please anybody anymore. No, I know. Because Halloween Kills, they're like, how dare you? Uh, it's either how dare you do something different or how do, how dare you make something completely the same. It's like, yeah. It's no almost can- like the nostalgia argument I hear about. In other movies, or here, oh, the word called fan service. I hate that term because mm-hmm. there's. I we've said this in other shows when we did some of our comic book movies, where I think fan service has reached a point, especially for a franchise as long and established as Halloween or Marvel or whatever. Yeah, fan service is par for the course. If you're not doing it, you're right. missing what made the. You're missing all the links and ties you're supposed to do for something that's been established and nailed. So why why would you not call in? something that matters and, and should be the same and should match what you've made before. If you, and I, and the when people just go, Oh, they're just borrowing this or taking a nod at this. I said, why would you not take a nod at it when you right. don't, then you make something so obscurely different that it can't connect. What's the point? Right. Well, and yeah, that's, that's the paradox of it because yeah, it's not going to yeah. connect because these movies are successful for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, they appeal to a large group of people, you know, I mean, Halloween is, you know these these David Gordon Green ones. I think because he has a little bit of indie cachet, yeah, and yeah. because they got Jamie Lee Curtis back. I mean, these have made more money than the other ones. Oh yeah, you know, totally. Also by inflation, yeah, but you but, know, but yeah. still, I mean, these movies. The reason why they make twelve of them is because people will go see them. You know, like it's it's that simple. Um, that's the paradox: is that you've been going back for the same thing, mm-hmm. and then you get mad when they. You know what I mean? It's 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 just like. Because what happened was, is in the original timeline, 4, 5, and 6 are kind of like its own trilogy. It's kind of like Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, where it's kind of its own trilogy within okay. the franchise. And it's all about how, like, there's, like, this man in black, and there's, like, these druid cults. And, like, you know, Michael Myers was chosen. He had this mark on him. And he's he, he goes all the way back to the ancient forms of evil from oh, the, the druids and stuff. That sounds I mean, like that's, the Candyman sequel where no, they that is some man all the way back. That is some goofy shit, right? Very good. And, and people are like, well, it's nothing like the originals. It sucks. But then this comes out, and they're like, well, it's not like that one. And it's like, wait a minute. You hated those, and now you're yeah. holding them up as like these, you know. And I, I will hold them up. I actually think that the um, the producer's cut, because uh, if you guys ever want to read, I, I personally love films that have troubled production histories. Uh, <laughs> Halloween six, it's just called Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, which is also the first movie Paul Rudd was ever in, um, was a disaster. Like it was, you know, test screenings, Weinstein's were involved. It was a new studio dimension. Yeah, films. Dimension, Right. Yeah. Right. It was a mess. Um, and the one they released in theaters I actually kind of like, it's fun. It's terrible. It's a horrible film, mm-hmm. but it's kind of enjoyable because it's so goofy, you know, with the, with the Druids and cults. However, 
that wasn't the original film. You know, they, there was literally like 20 minutes of an ending they cut out. There was stuff missing all over the place. There's a, there's a, the cut exists called the producer's cut. And I actually think it's one of the most faithful sequels to the original film. It's almost, okay. it's almost as good as the original film. So even though it's Halloween six and people hate it and people don't want to see it again. And then the people are fighting for it. I actually put that as one of my top three in the okay. franchise, if not number two. So there is value to be had from some of these things. I, you, you know me, I'm very much an art person as opposed to, I'm not a box office person. I'm not, I tend to value art a little bit differently. I look at the effort of things. To me, horror yeah. films, I love horror films because that to me is people using limited budgets, using their imagination. Sure, you know, there's uh, Joe Bob Briggs talks about how he talked to Roger Corman and Roger Corman had a science. You know, he said, you have to have nudity at the 20 minute, you have to have nudity at the 40 minute, you have to have <laughs> nudity at the, you know, he had everything mapped out to how, like, how much people want it. But it, the reason why that science exists is because people have interest in these things. And that's what gets people going. And I know horror films are often considered the trash of cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think superhero films are becoming that moniker now because they're so dominant, but people don't take horror films seriously. So when I watch, so when I watch something like Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, the producer's cut, I, I see it through different eyes. You know, I'm not looking at it through like what's viable for the public. I don't look at it from, you know, what's my mom going to think of this? Like <laughs> I, I look at it like, what is the artist trying to tell me, you know? And some of these, some of these films, especially these Halloween films and definitely the nightmare on Elm street films, they are fueled by creativity. They are fueled by innovation, you know, in the makeup fields in the sound design and the visuals, you know, max maximizing your potential of what you can do with so little. And this is stuff that I think even the big time directors, you and I have talked about this a lot Mm -hmm. to me, like Spielberg hasn't made a challenging film in a decade. You know, uh, Scorsese makes $200 million films that are kind of hollow. You know, they, they almost forget. Like I actually, this is why I like Halloween kills more than Dune, believe it or not, because even though the story wasn't written particularly well, the movie looks like a, looks like a $300 million production. It's, 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 it is slick. It looks great. Cinematography is brilliant, but you know, you've got craftsmen, you know, like this isn't, this isn't like de-aging Joe Pesci. This is, you've got horror makeup artists that are like, how can I make this look as gnarly as possible? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I make this scene scary? Like I've seen people that were closing their eyes in the theater. Like to me, just like we were talking with Marvel films, like, yeah. So what if it's, if it's trying to appeal to every quadrant, like it has an emotional effect on people. People are scared. Like maybe they're not scared, like terrified, like they would be in sure. a Carpenter film, but they're having a physical reaction to a piece of art. And how can you not say that's a success in my Maybe. opinion? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you nailed it. That, that's closing material right there. Nicely done. Sir. <laughs> yeah. I know this is kind of tough for people because they don't get your take on it, but nah, uh, I'll be, they'll be fine. I like hearing your take on things, but I think, I think, you know, it just depends on your mileage will vary on what mm-hmm. you like. Um, I think there's great things in every timeline that Halloween has to recommend it. I think it's actually a very successful uh, franchise. Uh, I think it's been interesting. I don't think it's as interesting as like the nightmare on Elm street series, because that is more surreal because it's about dreams and stuff. I think every nightmare on Elm street film, um, uh, as it builds, 
uh, gets more crazy and more surreal and, and more challenging and the special effects are different. And, you know, like there's just a lot of creativity. There. There's a lot of passion behind it. I, I dig anything with passion, you know? So, yeah. Um, and that's why when they make a remake, like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake with Jackie Earl Haley, and they make it so dour and so gritty and realistic, it takes away some of that magic. So I hear you there. I would I would rather have a Halloween Kills, which has a lot of story flaws, but a lot of visual flourish and ambition. At least it's trying to say something, mm-hmm. you know, than something that is very arrogant and very much like, well, I am pristine. I am. This is what I am. You know, I am. Do- I am Dune. You will take me seriously. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I had more fun watching Halloween Kills than I did Dune. And I know all the cinema snobs out there are going to crucify me, but. Too bad hey, for them. That's the way it goes. All right. Close this out, sir. Good talk, man. Yeah, absolutely. Did we do an intro? I can't even remember. Yeah, did I did an intro. So you hit us at the outro. Tell us, tell people where to find us. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. If you enjoyed this show, it's a little little off formula. So if this is your first episode, go back and check out some older ones. We have we have a very distinctive formula that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts and wonderful guests, all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. 